Hi, welcome to the On Becoming Educated podcast, where I, Pa Vu, will share my experience as a first-generation PhD student. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to my podcast. I've been telling people that sometimes I don't know who is listening, and so sometimes I feel like I am speaking into the podcast void. Um, So if you are listening, feel free to shoot me an email. Let me know that you're listening. It always validates the work that I'm doing. As always, I am sharing parts of this journey so that anybody who would like to pursue their PhD can hopefully get some information and um, some advice from this podcast and hopefully it'll be useful to them. I am recording from my new home in Berkeley. Right before I left for Berkeley I also discovered that I had an issue with my computer where my mic wasn't quite working. So this episode might have some not very great sound quality to it. There might be some echoing or my voice might just sound like I'm talking to you from a distance. (laughs) But I hope that that won't take away from the importance of the content, especially if you are looking to apply to a PhD program or even a master's program. I'm really hoping that this episode will be useful to you. And here's the show. Last year, around this time, I was knee-deep in ensuring the semester started off successfully at the Writing Center at Chico State, where I worked. Onboarding new tutors, creating a weekly work schedule, revising policies and procedures, developing training, emailing professors, attending events. But I was also having conversations with a mentor about the possibility of going back to school. What would that look like? Which program would be best for me? Which school would be best for me? And am I even competitive? Grad school, whether it's a master's program or a PhD program, is not something to rush. It's expensive, time-consuming, and draining. And it deserves some deep, reflective thinking before you jump in. However, once you've decided that you do indeed want to apply to grad school, there are a few things you should do. On today's show, I'm going to talk about seven things you should do after you decided that you want to apply to a PhD program. But I think this episode would still be useful to you too if you are applying to a master's program. So at this point, hopefully you kind of know why you're going back to school and what you want to study. At least you should have a general sense of what you want to study. If you don't have those two things yet, then you might not be ready to apply just yet. So I suggest listening to episode three, where I share five questions I asked myself before applying to grad school. This reflective work is to help you make sure that you're not just going to grad school because it's the next thing to do, or because you feel pressure to go to grad school. It'll also be easier to do some of these things that I'm about to share with you if you already know why you're going back to school and what you want to study. So here are the seven things. They don't need to be completed in this order. 
In fact, you may do all of them at the same time, so just keep that in mind. Number one, do your research. You've probably heard this from a lot of people or read this in many articles and blog posts, but what does it really mean? My experience taught me that during this step, you're really searching for one thing, fit. How is this program going to fit you? How are you going to fit this program? So when we talk about fit with a program or a school, we're really looking at four things. First, location. Where is this program or school going to be located? And how will this potentially affect your research? I'm studying Hmong language, so it would make no sense for me to apply to a school in Montana where there are literally no Hmong people. It would make more sense for me to apply to a school in Minnesota, Wisconsin, California, or even Washington, Oregon, and North Carolina. In the end, I applied to several different schools, but I mainly wanted to stay in Northern California because I wanted to research Hmong speakers in Northern California. And that's exactly what I said in my statement of purpose. Second, focus and philosophy. Does this program focus on subjects you are interested in? Does this program's teaching and learning philosophy align with yours? Do they challenge society's norms? Are they all white and male? One of the East Coast schools that I looked at had an interesting program. It was also a private Ivy League university, which meant it had the potential to provide financial support. But the faculty were all white and male. And the description of their program said nothing about diversity and social justice work, which to me is everything in the field of education. So if you don't have that, then you don't interest me. Third, potential advisors. So we're still talking about research here. <laughs> if a program looks really good to you, read through their faculty bios for the reason that I just talked about, but also because you need to state in your statement of purpose who you would like to work with. Most programs will ask you to choose at least two professors, and sometimes they even ask you how you came to that decision. When I read through faculty bios at the different schools that I applied to, the two things I looked for were, do they have experience in what I want to study, and how will my work potentially complement theirs? Professors aren't just advising students for the fun of it. Okay, maybe some are, though I've been sure there are a few of those. Most professors advise because it's part of their job, and it helps them move forward on the tenure track. When a professor gets tenure, it generally means they more or less have permanent employment at their university. Advising students who graduate with their PhDs helps in this process. And something I learned during my first PhD program is that there's also potential for your professor to have their name on articles you publish under their mentorship. And mentorship could be anything from just verbal advice to actually editing your article before you submit it. This also helps with securing tenure. So these professors will also be looking for students whose work complement theirs. And it is the professors who choose the students who get admitted to the school. This is why this is important. And this is something I didn't learn in my first PhD program. 
I just applied and someone just happened to like me. But if you really want to get your PhD, don't leave this to chance. Read through their bios and choose who you want to work with. So there are a lot of things that you should be looking for when you are doing your research, but the last thing I'm going to talk about is financial support. What kind of money do they have for their full-time PhD students? I talk about this in detail in episode six, which I'm going to link in the show notes. Some PhD programs will offer you a five-year package, which will usually come with paid tuition and fees, a living stipend the first two years to allow you to focus on your classes, and graduate assistant or teaching assistant jobs the latter three years. Some PhD programs will offer you grants, and some will offer unguaranteed scholarships that you'll need to apply for. But this information is usually on their website somewhere. Sometimes you just have to really look, because if they don't have money to offer, sometimes they kind of hide this information. And if you still can't find this information, then I would say go ahead and email them and so that you can know this and decide what the best schools are for you. Some people have asked me how I found the programs and schools that I applied to. I think it was easy once I knew what I wanted to study. Once I knew, then a quick Google search brought up some programs. And as I began to read about these programs, I began to learn some of the keywords I needed in order to do even more research. A few of the schools that I looked at were also recommended to me by some of my mentors. One last tip about doing your research, use a spreadsheet. It'll help you keep everything organized, especially if you're looking at multiple programs, and especially if they have very different requirements, which they sometimes do. I've linked a copy of the spreadsheet that I used in the show notes, so feel free to go there and download it for your own use. You'll see that some of my notes are still in there, and I left them in there on purpose so that you can kind of see an example. Okay, so we just finished going over the first of the seven things that I wanted to share with you. Here's number two. Find mentors and cheerleaders. I go into depth about this in episode four, which I will link in the show notes. Like I said, these seven things don't need to be done in this order. You can be researching or searching for mentors as you're researching your potential schools and programs. The important thing about having mentors and cheerleaders is that they hopefully will believe in you and will be there to remind you that you're good enough when you have doubts. And this is why in episode four, I talk about how to find mentors and how to know when somebody doesn't want to be your mentor, because if they don't want to be your mentor, then they might not be the best mentor for you at this time. These mentors and cheerleaders should be a mix of professors in the field the field that you want to study, and professional colleagues or supervisors, especially if you haven't been in school for a while. It's ideal to have at least one or two professors in your field mentoring you because they know what's current and what's relevant, and they can guide you in the right direction. The third thing to do is to study for your entrance exam and take it if it's required. I cover the GRE with a special guest in episode 14, so give that a listen if your program requires the GRE. Some programs don't. You can find this information on their website. 
Don't wait until it's too late to take your exam. Take it as early as you can once you know that you want to apply to grad school. It's one less thing to worry about during application season, which can be quite stressful. The fourth thing I want to share with you, narrow down your five, your top five to ten schools. And this number can vary depending on your research and the cost of applications. Once you have done your research, then you have to decide how much money you want to spend. It cost me over $1,000 to apply to seven schools, including the cost of taking the GRE. The majority of the $1,000 went to application fees, but some of it also went to ordering transcripts from all the colleges and universities I attended and sending them to all of the schools that I applied for. So if you have the money and you want to apply to 20 schools, that's your choice. If you don't have the money, then you'll have to really narrow down your top schools and just focus on those schools. You can see on my spreadsheet, if you download my spreadsheet, that I used a highlighting system to choose my top schools. Green was the color I chose for the ones that I was going to apply to. Number five, locate a piece of sample writing. All the programs you're going to apply to will require a piece of sample writing as part of the application packet. If you have a master's degree, if you've been through a master's program, an ideal sample writing piece would be your thesis, if you wrote one, that is. Some, some master's programs do not require thesis. They do projects and papers instead. So if you wrote one, this would be the perfect time to use it. But some programs also put a limit on the page count. So if you have a 100-page thesis, for example, you have to kind of figure out how to cut it so that it still makes sense, but also so that it follows their page count guideline. The other thing you can use is if you wrote a really good research paper, you can also use that as a sample of your ability to write. And that's about it. I think it's really hard to use anything else unless there's a good amount of research in it. One important thing to remember is that it should be a piece of writing related to the field you want to study. All in all, this piece of writing should showcase the type of research writing that you can do. Thing number six. Write your personal statement and statement of purpose. Some programs use these two things, these two um, items interchangeably. Some programs don't. I think almost all the programs I apply to ask for both of these things. And some also asked for a diversity statement. That's three pieces of writing that you'll need to do. There will be directions and prompts for all pieces of writing they request from you, but here's a gist of what these things are. A personal statement tells your personal journey of how you became the person you are. And this usually includes overcoming some kind of hardship. But not always. It, so it could get a little confusing. I'm planning to do a whole separate episode just to talk about the personal statement. A statement of purpose talks about your research interests and how you developed them. It also includes the professor or professors with whom you'd like to work. The statement of purpose tends to have a more academic tone to it, or at least a more formal tone, while the personal statement has 
a more personal tone, which makes sense. I'm also planning to release an episode about the statement of purpose and how to write it. Both of these episodes will hopefully be released in the next few weeks or so, so be on the lookout for those if you are planning to apply to grad school. Personal statements and statements of purpose generally run between 700 and 1,000 words. I have to confess the 700 word one was really hard for me to write. So what I did was I pretty much wrote the 1,000 word one and then I cut down, um, cut it down to 700 words for that one specific program that only wanted 700 words. So I don't want to spend too much time talking about a diversity statement because I feel like it is pretty self-explanatory, but I also don't want to make any assumptions that people have an idea of what it is. To be honest, when I applied, I didn't even know that I had to write one, and not all the programs required one. But pretty much what I learned is that a diversity statement is basically just your view of diversity, your view and experience with diversity, and how that might impact the work and the research that you do or will do in their program. And the last thing that you should do if you want to apply to grad school, and remember that these are not, or sh does, they do not have to be done in this order, is ask for letters of recommendation. I talk about letters of recommendation in episode four, but I think it's pretty safe to say that the best letters of recommendation usually come from people who know you well and who care for you. With that said, however, some programs will ask you to get a letter from specific types of people. And sometimes you just don't have anyone like that. So you just do the best you can. But ask early. I try to give my recommenders a month before the deadline. And provide these recommender recommenders with your resume, personal statement, and statement of purpose. Other information that you can provide are the name of the program, your professor you'd like to work with, and a statement of why you're applying to this program. Usually you can submit the request for a letter of recommendation before submitting the application itself. So there you go, seven things you should be doing now that you've decided to pursue your PhD. I hope it helps you with this tedious and time-consuming process. If you do get tired, don't be afraid to take a break. Do one thing at a time. It seems like a lot, but in the end, it will get done. Good luck. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or the podcast listening platform of your choice to be notified when new episodes are up. If you would like to support this podcast, a rating and review would go a long way. Podcasts with ratings and reviews are more likely to be found by listeners. So I would very much appreciate it if you can take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast. If you would like to make a donation to help me run this podcast, you can do so at kofi.com slash on becoming educated. That's ko-fi.com slash on becoming educated. Every dollar helps. Follow me on Instagram at by Pavu and the podcast at on becoming educated. Lastly, to access transcripts and submit listener questions, go to 
www.onbecomingeducated.com.